0: table nicely for um, our continued series of God and Kings. And if you have not had the chance to be here the last couple of weeks, we started out talking about the very end of King David's reign. Right? Israel demanded a king. They got one. They started with Saul. Saul was not the man that God really chose. So Saul is replaced with David. David is the one king that follows God fully. The only man in all of scripture who's called a a man after God's own heart, not because he was blameless, because certainly David had his own failings, but because when David did fail, he was broken over his sin. He repented and cried out to God for help, because David sought to build God's kingdom and not his own. And the successive kings that come more and more don't do that. They don't follow after God fully. They seek to build their own kingdom instead of God's kingdom. And so we talked about Solomon, how he had this great start, how he asked for wisdom, how he built the temple, and then how he was sort of led astray. And so I want to start off by talking about decisions. Decisions. Because life is a series of lots of decisions. Anyone have any idea how many decisions you approximately make in a day? Anyone read anything about this? A lot. It's a, it's a lot. It's more than a few. Um, in fact, studies estimate that you make approximately 35,000 decisions in a day. 35,000. As an adult, as a child, you have less of those, right? And, and so they could be something as simple as, you know, am I going to have the, the pork or chicken, or the steak tacos for lunch today, right? It could be that simple, and there's not necessarily a lot weighing on that decision, right? There's not a right or wrong. I mean, some of you might argue that there is a right or wrong there, but... but and then some can be far more significant. And so when we look at the life of, of the two kings that we're going to talk about today, the, the fourth king in the succession, right, Rehoboam, and then ultimately the first king of this new nation of Israel, Jeroboam. And so as we talk about them, they made good choices and they made bad choices. Just like Solomon, just like David, just like Saul, just like all of us do. They made good choices and they made bad choices. And the choices in and of themselves are not the primary issue. They are an issue. They're not the primary issue. But then how in turn did they respond to those choices? Well, let's, let's look at some of the good choices and bad choices they made. I highlighted them here. So Rehoboam starts out pretty well, right? He has this first big decision he has to make. Jeroboam comes back to him and he says, hey, what are you going to do? Are you going to treat me like your dad Solomon did? Or are you going to treat us better? And so he doesn't want to make, it's a big choice, he doesn't make a snap decision. It's probably a good decision for him to say, go away for three days and come back to me. He wants to get all the facts. The second thing he does is also a good decision. It says, verse 6, then King Rehoboam consulted the elders. Instead of just making his own choice, he's relying on people who have been in the kingdom for years. The elders actually give him very good advice. The story probably goes an entirely different direction if he simply had taken the elder's advice, right? Probably goes an entirely different direction. He makes another good decision, okay? Later on, after the split occurs, he decides in his own mind that he wants to go fight, to maintain his kingdom. But as he's bringing 180,000 men to fight, Right here, verse 25, 24, it says, He obeyed the word of the Lord and went home again as the Lord had ordered. So even after he's made some mistakes, when God tells him to do something, he actually obeys it. So Rehoboam made some good choices. But he also made some bad choices. right? And ultimately the bad choices ended up him losing ten-twelfths of his kingdom. Five, six, for those of you that care about math and simplifying, right? So it started out, verse 8, Rehoboam rejected the advice the elders gave him and consulted the young men he'd grown up with around him. Interesting thing. Um, you know, we look at, at, at the world and, and different like, classifications, and one of the things that's, that's fascinating is how much money um, professional athletes make, Right? It wasn't always the case. If you go back even like 30 years, oftentimes professional athletes would have second jobs in the off-season. Sometime, at some point, we decided that they were the most important people on the planet. Right? We made that decision as a culture. Right? And, and, and we really can't fault them for wanting the money, right? The owners are making billions and billions, so they just want a piece of the pie. We won't stop watching, right? We watch we spend advertising dollars on the shows. We, we attend the games, so we can't fault that. But one of the interesting things is um, there's a study done recently about NBA athletes, people that play professional basketball, and they're making millions and millions and millions of dollars. If you follow the, the recent free agency, some of them are making you know upwards of, of you know like 150, 180. I think one contract was even $300 million, right, to, to dribble a ball and to shoot it in a basket. So the fascinating thing in this study was they studied um, retired NBA athletes, and they looked at how much money they had made and where their finances were, and this is an incredible statistic, over 75% of retired NBA athletes were bankrupt. of retired NBA athletes were bankrupt, three out of four, after making millions and millions of dollars. And the reason is this exact principle right here. They were taking advice from the wrong people. Many of them had groups around them who were advising them who were actually only interested in making money themselves. So Rehoboam has a chance, he consults the elders, people that have actual wisdom, that have actually worked in this kingdom, that know what they're talking about, he rejects their advice, and he goes back to his buddies that he grew up with, and they say, hey, tell him this, my little finger is thicker than my father's waist, which is the idea that he had more power in his finger than his father had in his entire body. Now, we know in retrospect that that's probably not true. Solomon is the one ruler that actually had peace throughout his kingdom. But Rehoboam is is deciding to follow the advice of his friends. And they lead him down the wrong path. Jeroboam makes good and bad decisions too. Number one, he realizes the truth in verse 27. If we continue on. He realizes that these people go to offer sacrifices at the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem. Jeroboam realizes that if he allows the people in his kingdom to go back, that they'll turn back to God. Why does he realize that? Because he knows it's the right thing. That's what Jeroboam would do if he was on a good path. Again, they'll give their allegiance to their Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah. That's the bad choice. He thought this wasn't about God. But he thinks it's about a man. He thinks it's simply because they're worshiping the true God that they're also going to turn to the man, Rehoboam, who built the temple. He, He makes another choice. He seeks advice. But Jeroboam also seeks advice of the wrong people. So what does he do? Instead of allowing the people to go back to Jerusalem to worship the true God, he goes back to the time when Moses comes off Of getting the Ten Commandments. And what were the people worshipping then? A golden calf. So what does he do? He builds two golden calves. Giant golden calves. And he establishes two temples. And he says now this is the God of Israel. Not the one true God. Not the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is now the God of Israel. The new Israel. And so he establishes two temples. That he builds for people to go and worship there. And so both of these guys make some good choices, but they make some bad decisions too. And the thing is, the bad decisions carry on. Because they both valued preserving their power over following God. Right? If we go back a couple weeks, God had made a covenant promise with David. The covenant promise with David was simply asking the people to do one thing. Remember, we've talked about that every week. One thing. That's right. Follow God. It's the thing that every Jewish boy and girl would have grown up saying Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. One thing. If you do that, I will preserve your kingdom forever. That's God's promise. God's promises are always perfect. God's promises to us are perfect. They do not fail. And so what happens is Jeroboam and Rehoboam, who've said this every day of their life, now get to a point where they're faced with a decision where the rubber meets the road, and they make a decision to try to preserve their power over following God. God's already promised he will preserve Rehoboam's power forever if he simply follows Him. But Rehoboam forgets. He forgets. There we go. (laughs) Jeroboam and Rehoboam also were both followers of God who simply lost their way. You see, they didn't start off and decide, hey, I want to lead this nation. I know Solomon did his thing. My grandfather David did his thing. But I want to lead this nation to worship idols. They didn't set out to do that. They were followers of God. They wanted to continue in that, but they lost their way when they got distracted by life. The same thing happens to us sometimes, right? We set out to follow God. We set out to do the right thing. But then something else grabs our attention. Something else grabs our affection and keeps us from following God the way we should. For Jeroboam and Rehoboam, both, that was their case. It's easy to kind of uh, look at them in a simplistic way and simply say they were bad. That they were evil. But when we really dig into the truth of the story, that's not the case. They both truly wanted to follow God. They just lost their way. I grew up with, um, I had a friend named Neil, and uh, Neil was my best friend in like probably like the fourth grade. He came um, to my school halfway through third grade, and we got to be close. And the thing that I loved about Neil was Neil was hilarious, or at least I thought so. Other people didn't seem to think Neil was as funny as I did. Who really didn't think Neil was funny was my teachers. They really didn't like Neil's sense of humor. I don't know if you ever had a friend like that that just makes you laugh. They don't necessarily make everyone laugh, but Neil would just like crack me up. I could just look at Neil and I would just like be like, you know, I would start losing it. He just, he just made, he, I don't know. And so, fourth grade was the year where for the first time we were allowed to pick our own seats. It was awesome. You didn't have your assigned seats. You weren't in alphabetical order. I wasn't near the other F's. You know, you got to, we got to pick our seats for the first time. I'll never forget my my teacher, Miss Murray. And I get in there and she's like, I'm like looking for my name tag on my desk. And I didn't find one. She's like, oh, you can sit wherever you want. So I'm looking around the room. And, you know, a couple years later, this would have been a different decision. I would have based it entirely on what's the cutest girl I can get near. But I hadn't quite got there yet. So in the fourth grade, my decision was entirely based on how close can I sit to Neil, because he cracks me up. And so I look around the room, and there's Neil, and he is in the back corner. That's the troublemaker spot, right? And so, so I I like am like trying to run carefully, like walk, you know, like walk really fast because you're not allowed to run in the classroom. And I get there, and I get the seat next to Neil, and I'm so excited. I'm going to have this seat next to Neil, and. You see, up into that point, kind of mostly based on the fact that, that I love approval and I'm an approval junkie, I made all A's and I got all ones in conduct. Like that was just gonna be my jam. Like, get everything right, be the good kid. And and so all of a sudden, once I met Neil, I got a little bit distracted from my mission and my goal because Neil was hilarious. And I still made good grades for the most part. I think I slipped a B or maybe even a C in there because I was laughing during, you know, the math assignment and I missed it. But the big notice, noticeable difference was, was the conduct grades. The conduct grades fell off the chart. They went from ones to threes. And I remember both my teacher and my parents wanting to know what was the difference You know, hey, you were a good kid. Now you're headed to prison, you know. I don't think it was that extreme. But, you know, what what changed your path? And I realized it simply came down to, I lost my way. I got distracted. It became more important to me to hang out with my buddy Neil and to laugh and to have fun than to do the right thing. And it may sound like a silly example, but that's exactly what happened with Jeroboam and Rehoboam, and that's what happens with us, right? We're not setting out to to worship idols, or we're not setting out to, to do fill in the blank of your favorite sin, right? But as in our pursuit to follow God and honor Him with our lives, we often get distracted by power, by relationships, by money. Fill in the, gra- the, the blank. And that's what's going on here. They forgot that the key to a successful rule was not their strength, but it's God's strength. If they had simply remembered the thing they said every day of their life and followed after God, they would have had a peaceful and strong rule. But they didn't. They got distracted. They lost their way. And so what are the things that we can learn from Jeroboam and Rehoboam? It's an interesting story. We could could dig in and we could talk even more about their life. It goes on for a couple more chapters in the Bible. And we could talk about this Bible story. But when it comes down to it is what are the things that we can learn that have value for us today? And the first thing is this. We have to prioritize what is most important in a world where you're making 35,000 decisions in a day, some of you probably more, we've got to be sure to prioritize that which is most important in our life. And what I find is when we ask people this question, almost everyone gets it right. When you ask people what's most important, almost all of you would raise your hand and say, God, my relationship with God. You'd probably somewhere behind that be family. Right? You'd, you would have some of the right answers, but the problem is when the rubber meets the road, sometimes we don't really have those values in our decision making. Jeroboam and Rehoboam, that's what happened to both of them. Somehow, they had value creep they went from knowing hero israel the lord our god the lord is one love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength to i want to be the most powerful person and somewhere along the line the priorities shifted probably wasn't even a conscious decision but that happens in our own lives when we're not constantly reinforcing that which is most valuable and important. The second thing we can learn from them is how important it is to seek the right kind of counsel. I talked about this a couple weeks ago, in, uh, or last week actually, with, uh, with Solomon. right? And studies show that we basically are the sum of our five closest friends. When it comes to our values, our decision making, oftentimes in life, we're the sum of our five closest friends. Who are the people that you seek out for counsel in life? Hopefully it's not Facebook. I, can't, I can't, cannot get over how many people I see that put out things. Now some of them, it's gonna actually be helpful. Like, hey, who can tell me where a good mechanic is? Right? The problem is, anytime someone does that, you get like eight mechanics listed on there. But I actually also get, read on Facebook and I'll see people asking more personal questions. And I think not enough people have those go-to people in their life that they can trust, that they can rely upon, that have the same values that you have. Rehoboam had a chance, right? He consulted the elders, those that his father, the most wise man in all of human history, trusted to advise him. Now Solomon didn't always make the right choice either, but at least he had some people in place. Rehoboam knew enough to go to them, but when the rubber met the road, he cared more about his buddies. And their opinion than he did about the elders. In our life, we have to seek the right kind of counsel. It starts first and foremost in one place. Word of God. When you're weighing a tough decision, not all the answers are in here, but certainly all the principles are. We talk about one of the most important ones every week. At Advent. We say love is why we're here. First and foremost, God's love for us. But then secondly, our love for each other in the world. That should weigh every decision we make. Seek the right kind of counsel. The next principle we can learn from their life is to seek God's power. And not our own. This is maybe where they got most distracted. They got most thrown off course. You see, they chose a path which said, I will cling to this power. I'll cling to this throne. I'll make my name famous. I will become the strongest and the best. When they knew from history, when they knew from experience that that place was rightfully only God's. That's why God didn't want him to have a king in the first place. As the saying goes, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we see that over and over again, right? The Israelites demanded a king. God says, you already have one. It's me. But they continued to demand. And so God gave them ultimately what they asked for. And as we saw from the video... Israel went 0 for 20 in having good kings. Judah went 8 for 20. I'm going to be honest. As we dig in, and you'll find more as we continue through this series, 8 for 20 is a generous grade. I think they got graded on a curve. There is really only two more kings in the entire list of them that the Bible says followed fully after God as their father David had. And so what happens is person after person, they seek to build their own power. They get distracted by everything that comes with being king and they forget that which is most important. What we can learn from them is to remember that which is most important, which is God's kingdom, not ours. And finally... I told you that every week we'd be talking about grace in this series. And as we dig in, as we continue to go through over and over and over again, we're going to be faced with kings that make wrong choices. We're going to be faced with people that go in wrong directions, that choose their way, their power over God's way, over his power. And yet God continues to be faithful. His people. God's promises never fail. In a world where you're let down by friends, family, sometimes, jobs, relationships, where nothing is stable, we can rest in God's grace. In the fact that there is one thing that will never fail us. God. His love is perfect. His strength is perfect. His grace is perfect. So there's one thing that we learn from all of these kings that we're going to talk about that fall over and over again. Is that God's strength is perfect when ours He's gone. Amen.